what do we need to do in place of this this plan that's being put forth you know what what can make what can make a difference indeed is there uh, a way to reduce our dependency on this belief that drugs are the only way to solve this problem Delgado here, and I am reporting as we watch President Trump live about the coronavirus. We have a lot of breaking stories today. Please stay with me because I'm going to give you my insight, and you're going to learn about a rather amazing discussion about vaccines and the malarial drugs and what is the option. Basically, the three options we're given is isolation, malarial drugs, toxic drugs, and vaccines. I'm going to give you the fourth, the real option if you want to stay tuned i'm here broadcasting live from costa mesa california our studios and my offices let's listen in on president trump for a moment here we go guys so when we see it going up in a certain state and louisiana could be one and michigan could be another with detroit because detroit is having a lot of uh, a lot of hard time right now detroit came out of nowhere and that's what happens with this it comes out of nowhere so we are ready jim depending on what happens and we have a stockpile, and that's why it's called a stockpile. Now, a lot of the uh, ventilators and a lot of the other equipment, rather than sending it to the stockpile, we had it sent directly to a hospital, to a location, to a place. So we didn't have the cumbersome nature of having it come in, unboxed, put in, and then delivered. We have it brought, which they've never done before. They don't do that. Generally speaking, they don't do that. But we've had, I think, Mike, we've had tremendous success at doing that. That's for other items, including ventilators, where it's brought to the site that needs it. But we have a good supply of ventilators, and we're ready to go. We're all ready. We're, we have trucks ready. We have everything ready. Because, as we're saying, John, this could be a hell of a bad two weeks. This is going to be a very bad two and maybe even three weeks. This is going to be three weeks like we haven't seen before. Should the hospital be prepared for that? All right, so you heard it. We're talking about the coming two, three weeks. Uh, he's predicting is going to be horrific when it comes to the coronavirus. Let's let's continue on with our discussion here. Well, I think the hospitals that they're facing what looks like a medical war zone. In some yeah, of these they places. they are going to be facing a war zone. That's what it is. Uh, I've heard I've heard some of the paramedics and some of the doctors they said they weren't they've been in war zones they've been they've never seen anything like this you look at elmhurst hospital in queens i've never seen i mean i look i just think it's so because that's a hospital that's near where i grew up and it's it is a war zone in a true sense yeah please yeah on the ventilator so we've been hearing from governors who say they are fighting amongst themselves essentially bidding amongst themselves they shouldn't to get be doing these that. if that happens they should be calling us look we have ventilators but we've distributed thousands of ventilators but they shouldn't be doing that and if they need them that badly we know we have pretty good ideas of where they're going to need them some people frankly think they need them and they don't need them i don't want to mention names but there are some people that want them and it's really not the right thing then you have some people that i guess automatically hoard a little bit they want to have more than they think they need but, you know, a ventilator is a very precious piece of equipment right now. It's hard to make. It takes a long time to make it. It's complex. Some of them are like the dashboard of an airplane. I mean, they're very complicated and very expensive machines, and some are much simpler. But we're ready to go depending on what happens. But we have some hospitals in some states that think they need ventilators, and we don't think they do. Now, if they do need them, we will have them there before they need them. We'll be able to move very quickly. So what about the hydroxychloroquine? Is there any early data on these trials? Nothing that I've heard. I mean, that's the first question I make every morning. I'll tell you, I call up, you know, we have 1,100, 1,100 in New York right now. And we have other locations where they're, uh, where patients, people are taking them. Uh, now, the good news is it's only three days. And, you know, it's like a seven or eight day treatment. The good news is we haven't heard anything bad. In other words, there have been no catastrophic events. Uh, but we haven't. It's a little bit too soon to talk about it. It would be a total game changer, John, if that happened. If that happened, it would be a game changer. And we include that in that. And in, I think in all cases, the ZPAC, you know what the ZPAC is, 
So uh, we're going to see what happens with the hydroxychloroquine. Just one second, Steve. Are there antiviral drugs that have some promise of working soon? We're looking at a lot of them. We're looking at a lot of them. Some show promise. Uh, I think maybe the doctor might want to speak about the vaccines because a lot of Johnson & Johnson is advanced, very advanced. We'll see what happens. D there you go, guys. The vaccines and the ventilators and the malarial drugs. That's all they're offering. You need to test the vaccine. The one thing with the drug you just mentioned, right, is that that's been out. It's a malaria drug and also an arthritis drug. So it's been out there for a long time. Very powerful drug, but it's been out there for a long time. So it's tested in the sense that you know it doesn't kill you. But you may want to discuss the vaccines for a second, Dr. Thank, thank you, Mr. President. But just for a second before the vaccine, in answer to your question, Steve, there are a number of candidates. The, the drugs that are now being looked at in various ways, either compassionate use, clinical trials, or generally drugs that already exist for other things. There's a whole menu of drugs and interventions that are now going into clinical trials that are not approved for anything yet. I mean, for example, things like uh, immune serum, a convalescent plasma, or hyperimmune globulin, or monoclonal antibodies, a variety of other things. Right now, there's a lot of activity going on behind the scenes in the design of the kinds of clinical trials that will give us an answer. Because you need an answer because if it doesn't work, you want to get it off the table and go to the next one. So there are a lot of things. Vaccine. Uh, uh, How long does that normally take? Enough weeks, months? Yeah, no, it takes at least months, at least months, at least. So, I mean, that's the reason why you're seeing a lot of activity with drugs that already exist for other purposes because they're already there. But the drugs that you want to show in a good randomized clinical trial, at very best, are going to take months. Just one word on the vaccine. You know, exactly like we said, we hope that as we get into the summer, if in fact there are cases out there, when you're in a phase two or phase three trial or two, two B, as we call it, that we might get an early efficacy signal. And an efficacy signal means that even though you haven't definitively proven that a vaccine works, you get enough information that if it were an emergency, you might be able to have an emergency youth authorization for it. Guys, they have nothing. They have nothing. Hydroxychloroquine and uh, azithromycin, which is, you know, you take it with it, maybe, if you want, for the uh, infection. I think some medical workers are doing that, using it maybe, or getting it prescribed perhaps as uh, for another use. But the word is that some are and some aren't. I mean, I think it's not a bad idea to do it, but that's up to the doctors. But there is a, a theory going around that in our country and some other countries, people are taking that that work in the hospitals, that work with the patients, because there is some evidence. And again, it's going to have to be proven. It's very early. You know, we're rushing this stuff through. It was, this was supposed to take a long time to be approved. and. I prevailed upon the FDA to get it approved immediately on the basis that it was already in the market for a lot of years for another use. Malaria, mostly, and arthritis, but mostly malaria. So uh, we'll see what happens. But there is a theory out there that for the medical worker, doctor, it may work. It may work. And if you take it, it's, uh, you know, it's been out there for a long time. Please, go ahead. I just wanted to, to go back to Jim's question about the national stockpile. He, he keeps saying it's been out there a long time, but there's a lot of side effects with it. Governor of Connecticut t today said that he was disturbed to learn um, that the stockpile is now empty. That's his words. Um, and he said... Well, it's not empty. Let me explain something. What we do, and I thought I said it accurately, I certainly meant to, rather than having it brought into the stockpile, where appropriate, other than certain things like we have uh, quite a few of the ventilators, which is not a lot when you look at the whole country, actually. It sounds like a lot almost 10,000. But we're trying to have supply sent directly to the states because we save a big state. We save a big... We don't want medical supplies coming in to warehouses all over the place, and then we take them from there and bring them to another warehouse. So we're having... A all right, guys. So what we're dealing with here is kind of an ongoing discussion. And what I wanted to do was really kind of backtrack and talk about the the whole idea of what do we need to do in place of this this plan that's being put forth 
you know what what can make what can make a difference indeed is there uh, a way to reduce our dependency on this belief that drugs are the only way to solve this problem uh, I, it's it's always some miracle drug but they're admitting there is there is no no solution at this time these medications when you look up in the pdr are loaded and fraught with a lot of conditions and problems and side effects so again let's let's cut away to a segment here i, I wanted to pull that up uh and here i think i have it yeah So as we pull that up, I'm going to cut back away, hear what the president still has to say on this ongoing story here. And brought from the man, ideally from the manufacturer directly to the hospital or the state where it's going. So uh, we're trying to keep it that way as much as possible. Now, in some cases, we are having it brought. Remember this, we also took over a virtually empty and I say it again just like we Can had I, no ammunition in the military and we had virtually no ammunition well we had very little in medical supplies too in our stockpile so for the most part we're trying very hard to have it delivered to the site where they need it yeah please go ahead here in the United States, domestically, we can practice social distancing, uh, but some of our sailors, uh, specifically on the um, USS yeah. Theodore Roosevelt, they're not able to. They're in confined spaces. What are your thoughts on that? Should they be offloaded? And then, sir, are you concerned? I'm going to let the military make that yes, decision. Yes, sir. But are you concerned about uh, U.S. military readiness during this pandemic? For instance, what would happen if, if as reported, China was to increase patrols in the South China Sea. What would your well, response be? We're going to be? see uh, all about that. Don't worry about our military. You know, you saw the military put up a hospital in three and a half days with 2,900 beds, with a lot of beds. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. And by the way, that wasn't the only one. It wasn't just at Javits Center. It was at other locations. And now it's Louisiana, and now it's New Jersey, and now it's other places. One thing that I think is indisputable is when I watch the Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA working with them, but when I watch the Army Corps of Engineers throw up these hospitals, and they're complex. I mean, these are incredible buildings, essentially, tents and various things, but they did it in such a quick, such a short period of time. And uh, our military is ready like you haven't seen. And you know who the best, the best guests are the different shows are? We watch the shows at night. And I think the best guests that I've seen in a long time are the military people, and they've never done it before. I've watched General Semonite, who I deal with a lot. I say, General, you got to give us two new hospitals in Louisiana. Yes, sir. And the next morning, they're building them at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they're up in three days. I think they're the best they're the best guests you have. I guess I'm tired of the other guests at all. What kind of message do you have? Okay, Jim, go ahead. Yes, sir. This may be an uncomfortable question, but what would the models have looked like that Dr. Burks and Dr. Fowler showed us if we had started these social distancing guidelines sooner in February or January when China, South Korea were uh, doing those sorts of things? Well, I'm going to let them, I'm gonna let them answer that. In yeah. terms of what information we're getting from them, but if we yeah. had started these practices sooner, could these models be different right yeah, now? I'm going to let them answer the question, but remember this, and again, I say it, and everybody says it. You know who says it better than anybody is Dr. Fauci. I had a decision to make. Maybe it was my biggest decision. China was heavily infected, and thousands and thousands of people were coming from China to the United States. And against the wishes, not even wishes, but they disagreed with the decision, I made a decision to stop China from coming in. It took a lot of heat, even from China. They weren't exactly happy. I just made a trade deal, a big one, $250 billion trade deal, and I'm shortly thereafter saying you can't come into our country. That was a big decision. That was earlier than the date you're talking about. So that was a big decision. That was probably, and by the way, not because I did it, that was probably the biggest decision we made so far. But if you look at the one graph, the problem New York has is New York started late, but the other ones didn't start so late. Now, New York is also more complicated because, you know, for obvious reasons, but it got 
a late start. But do you want to maybe answer those questions? Uh, I don't know if you can go back to slide two, because I wanted to explain two things um, that I think is really important, because we had a lot of questions about mortality and what it meant. OK, so you see this confidence interval? So here's the line. This is the confidence interval. This is where we have the ability to push it down. So you have a large confidence interval around the line. And so we're trying to move that gray down tighter and below the dotted line. So I think that's really important. And then if you can go to the next slide. So we really can't answer your question until we can get antibody testing out there. Because what we can't tell you is in, and we can always do this, there's always samples in hospitals and other things. It's the way we really defined the HIV epidemic in the United States. We were able to go back to blood samples when we had the test and really find out where it was and what was going on. We really need to look in here and really see, was their virus significantly circulating in early March and in late February, and what did it look like, and where was it, and was it all in the metro areas? And I think that's what Dr. Fauci and I are very, very focused on, is getting serology testing out there to really figure out when it came um, and really have those samples to be able to do that. Um, Did you understand the, the painful part of my question? And, and please, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, we understand, but, but, but we can't Americans answer it until, yeah, saying until we If we see had that. started this sooner, we might not have 100,000 to 200,000 Americans dying. Well, that makes an assumption that it was here. Lot, there was a lot back here that we didn't see. Um, and until we have the antibody tests, I can't really answer that. Just to underscore what, what Dr. Burks was saying, if there was no virus in the background, there was nothing to mitigate. If there was virus there that we didn't know about, then the answer to your question is probably yes. Now, the only trouble with that is that whenever you come out and say something like that, it always becomes almost a soundbite that gets taken out of context. But I think that's very important what Dr. Burks has said, is that if there was covert infections here that we didn't know about, and we didn't mitigate then, then they would have made a difference. If there was virtually nothing there, then there's nothing to mitigate. And I, I don't know the answer but to your question. But we were watching uh, yeah. South Korea, excuse me, and China and Italy, and we weren't taking action when those countries were spiking. In a perfect world, it would have been nice to know what was going on there. We didn't, but I believe, Jim, that we, we acted very, very early in that. If we had act adequate testing, would we have known? Guys, you know, basically what we're dealing with here is um, a, a total focus on how early could they have tested, what is it that we would have learned from the testing, and more importantly, is there anything that, that could have been done? Uh, I think it's a moot point because when you really look through the, the science of, of this whole thing of why we're even talking about this whole issue is what what is it about vaccines and drugs that will not save us from the coronavirus what i want to do is is you know kind of focus on this because the three solutions that were currently being presented social isolation vaccines and malarial drugs actually harm the one thing that can save us all from the virus, that's your immune system. Most of the world is being forced into social isolation. And yet loneliness activates the fight or flight syndrome. It is a situation where the inflammation can increase, particularly in individuals who have a reduced body's ability to defend itself from viruses. And worse, vaccines and malarial drugs are also being touted as a solution, and both of them come with their own set of problems and health risks, which I'd like to explain. Many vaccines, uh, really, when you consider how people are holding on to the hope that this vaccine will come about and save us from the coronavirus, that's wishful thinking. Scientists have projected 12 to 18 months before any vaccination is available, 
And with the effectiveness of influenza, the vaccine vaccination hovering below 50%, the chance of a vaccination coming along with that eradication of the coronavirus is nil. So the effectiveness has never been proven with any of these major influenzas to make any difference in the outcome. Think about it. The worst thing is that vaccination isn't in it in efficiency. It's the fact that they're dangerous. They contain toxins. They hinder the immune system. It is not a permanent immunity because it's not entering through the normal, normal portal. When people get sick with the flu, it comes through the nose, kind of the eyes, you know, the mouth. When, when you look at the immune system, here, here we're looking at a, a, a drop of saliva. And I, I'm going to just cut away to this because I, I, I want to be very clear that there's microbes. You see these little things moving around? And that's, that's a white blood cell there. But those little things, little black things moving around, and every so often, I, I think if, if we pay attention a little bit, you're going to see, yeah, you can see some of these uh, streamers, uh, their bacillus and various types of bacteria. We have more bacteria than human cells. The, the goal is not to knock out the bacteria because that gets rid of the good and the bad with, with these toxic drugs. And you have to appreciate that the, the cumulative effect, when you, when you look at the studies found on children who've been vaccinated annually over a number of years, particularly if we look at the flu vaccine, we can see quite clearly that there's a cumulative damaging effect because of the mercury and even if they've switched from mercury to aluminum, which is an irritant to try and create an irritation so the toxic chemicals will be absorbed, these absorb. And with every shot a person is given, you increase your body's toxic load and the further strain on your immune system. The vaccination industry has done an incredible job of brainwashing the public into believing vaccinations are safe and essential for the public health. Let's be clear. They are not the answer. When you look at the immune system, there is the powerful ability of the body to protect itself. The industry is being run by a big agenda, big pharma. Bill Gates has apparently a patent in 2015. He stands to make billions of dollars on the sale of vaccinations. If you're unaware of the severe and life-threatening damage that can be caused by vaccination, you can see the vaccine panel that I can cut away to, uh, should you be interested, that was recorded in 2016. Now let's jump ahead to this whole issue of malarial drugs. The malarial drugs, and this is on my blog uh, at delgadoprotocol.com, the malarial drugs, hydroxychloroquine, and I'm going to cut away to it so you can see. Here's the blog that I'm talking about that you can read right now that's posted as we speak. When we look at this issue, I want you to be aware that the solutions that we have are not very good when it comes to this drug that was approved in an emergency for the coronavirus. They are a type of drug that does deal with anti-malarial properties. They're used in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, systematic lupus, and malaria. And now we're going to be using them in wide scale with the coronavirus. However, there's no clinical proof of their efficacy. These drugs are toxic and dangerous. And if you study some of the plant-based whole food nutrition doctors that are using a very effective treatment with no side effects in regards to lupus, Dr. Brooke Gold, Gold, Goldner, I interviewed. There's a number of doctors that are using this now. When we can intervene at a safer level without the risk of side effect, I would opt for that. I think it's important because when you consider that the hydroxychloroquine is associated with nearly 100 adverse 
reactions, severe irre irreversible retinal damage, liver failure, cardiomyopathy, heart failure, suicidal thoughts, severe psoriasis flare-ups, gastrointestinal irritation, embryonic death and birth defects, life-threatening hypoglycemia in diabetic patients, hearing loss, and seizures. The CDC is warning against taking non-pharmaceutical chloroquine phosphate without a prescription and supervision of a healthcare provider because it can cause serious health consequences, including death. No one is talking about the fact that this drug can cause death. And what will be the incidence of death compared to those, quote, save lives using this intervention? They're admitting. They don't know. There is one thing that can stop or slow the coronavirus. There is no proven drug or vaccine for the coronavirus. It's already been shown to work. Acute and chronic health risks outweigh the benefits. Social distancing is also not a long-term solution because if we don't take action to boost the immune system during the time of this lockdown, as soon as we emerge, the curve will go right back up. Unfortunately, the government is failing to recognize the critical role of the immune system. It plays the number one role in whether or not the spread of a virus compared to $8.5 billion dedicated to the coronavirus since uh, or on March 6, another $2 trillion just a couple days ago. And none of this is going towards public health and immunity. The onus is on you, the individual. We need to use this time in a lockdown to boost our immune system. This is the safest, most effective way to flatten the curve permanently. I want you to know that it's important to take action. We're going to kind of bounce back into what and how the immune system works. Uh, I'm going to cut uh, away to some other pretty well-known well individuals. But Michael Greger, our, our good friend, Dr. Michael Greger, uh, author of uh, this important textbook right here. He has a whole chapter on infection control and you really need to understand the factors that go into uh, what the science bears out with its many, many medical journal references. I'm sharing this with you because most people are not aware and if you read this chapter, How Not to Die from Infections, and that is uh, here on page reference 78 uh, and continued, you're going to find out that the goal that we have for you is based on not a few years of experience, but beyond decades. Humans have existed with these diseases for tens of thousands, even going back longer, years. Let's jump into what uh, Michael Greger had to say. And he had predicted this, this tragedy back in 2008. Here, let's hear what he's saying. Two greatest threats facing humanity, according to the United Nations, are climate change and emerging infectious disease, particularly pandemic influenza. The current focus of pandemic discussions and debate understandably centers on what we in the public health community refer to as secondary prevention, mediating the impact of the next pandemic. An intervention analogous to mammography. Right? Mammograms don't prevent cancer, but if caught early enough, for example, we may be able to decrease morbidity and mortality, and the same with pandemic planning. But what of primary prevention, the possibility of preventing the emergence of pandemic viruses in the first place. Like cancer, the root cause is likely multifactorial, difficult to tease out, but a question worth exploring nonetheless, and the question I'd like to address here today. Let's go back a few years. 1981. Here in the United States, Ronald Reagan takes the oath. MTV starts broadcasting Indiana Jones and Pac-Man Mania. It's all the rage. In June, the CDC released a tiny bulletin. Five men in Los Angeles, it seems, were dying with a strange cluster of symptoms. 
from humble beginnings, AIDS has since killed 25 million people. Now, the spread, certainly, of the AIDS virus has been facilitated by promiscuity, blood banking, IV drug use, but where did this virus come from in the first place? And of course, AIDS is not our only new disease. There's SARS, Ebola, mad cow, bird flu, but from where do emerging diseases emerge? Well, let's go back a bit further, much further. Human beings have been on this earth for millions of years, yet throughout most of human evolution there were no epidemic diseases. No one ever got the measles because measles didn't exist. No one got smallpox, no one got the flu, not even the common cold, until about here, 10,000 years ago. So we're going back 10,000 years ago. There was no historical findings of colds, flus, these types of viruses that were so terrified about regarding the coronavirus and the pandemic. But you're about to hear a fact that's irrefutable that these flus, viruses that are highly contagious, infectious, and dangerous that are well described in, in this book, uh, Infection Protection, this book right here, Infection Protection, by Dr. Ronald Klatz and Dr. Bob Goldman. And yet, even in that reference, they didn't get into what you're about to hear. And I think you really need to pay attention because an animal-based diet that we've all been sold a bill of goods is the best source to get our protein from is absolutely the most dangerous thing in the last 10,000 years that has killed more millions of people only besides the number of deaths from heart attacks, stroke, diabetes, and cancer, also largely related to an animal-based diet. Let's go hear what Michael Greger has to say. Medical anthropologists have identified three major periods of disease since the beginning of human evolution, and the first started just 10,000 years ago with the domestication of animals. When we brought animals into the barnyard, they brought their diseases with them. When we domesticated cows and sheep, for example, we also domesticated their rinderpest virus, which turned into human measles, now thought of as a relatively benign disease. Over the last 150 years, measles has killed 200 million people. Measles has killed 200 million people because we chose to domesticate cattle and that's where the disease came from. Why don't we eradicate or deal with the cause of the problem? And now we're running around trying to find vaccines that are very ineffective in dealing with the mass numbers of people who have already died from the measles and projected those who may in the future. Let's go back to what he's saying. This is very important, and maybe it's hard for you to hear this, to understand it or appreciate it, but I think we need to deal with this directly. And in a sense, all those deaths can ultimately be traced back just a few hundred generations to the taming of the first cattle. Smallpox likely came from camelpox. We domesticated pigs and got whooping cough. We so smallpox came from these animals, domesticated chickens has created uh, a various... Domesticated chickens. And we got typhoid fever and typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary, and typhoid fever. And domesticated ducks and got influenza. Ducks Before the domestication is... of ducks, likely no one ever got the flu. So what we're talking about is ducks is the origin of the flu and as we go a little bit further, quite likely the coronavirus. They mixed in with uh, chickens and these farms where they're already crowded and the virus starts spreading and then we eat the chickens and we get the flu and related conditions. You ever notice during Thanksgiving shortly after how many people get sick after eating turkeys? Uh, no coincidence, folks. No coincidence. Absolutely no coincidence. Now thought of as a relatively benign disease, over the last 150 years, measles has killed 200 million people. 
And in a sense, all those deaths can ultimately be traced back just a few hundred generations to the taming of the first cattle. Smallpox. Okay, so once again, measles coming from cattle, smallpox coming from camels, camelpox that killed, was a very deadly disease. Likely came from camelpox. We domesticated pigs and got whooping cough. Pigs, we got whooping cough, very, very deadly. We domesticated chickens, and we got typhoid fever and typhoid Mary. So chickens, typhoid fever, typhoid Mary. And domesticated ducks and got influenza. Before the de So again, the ducks, before consuming and eating ducks, duck hunters and so forth, as these viral diseases spread throughout humanity. What if we were to go plant-based and no longer consume these animals? We wouldn't have to have large stockyards containing these animals that are kind of a growing patch for all these diseases. It's hard to imagine that you, you have control over as a public rather than isolating humans, isolate animals, stop eating them. You get all your protein from whole plant-based fruit foods, fruits, vegetables, beans, and peas. A uh, tough pill to swallow instead of searching for a drug or pill that could very well take your life because of the side effects. Domestication of ducks, likely no one ever got the flu. Leprosy likely came from water buffalo. Wow, leprosy from water buffalo. What a horrific disease. And the common cold from horses. The common cold came from horses. Wow. Wild horses have the opportunity to sneeze into humanity's collective face until they were broken and bridled. Right? Until then, the common cold was presumably only common to them. And by the way, all this information is heavily referenced, well referenced, uh, in, in the book, uh, How Not to Die, and in my blog series at DelgadoProtocol.com. And then when you talk about AIDS and the infection, there's a bigger story behind that, inventing the AIDS virus, but you have to recognize that the use of the, these particular drugs has not had a good history with AIDS. Uh, more, it was dealing with the deal of cross-contamination and infection. So I'd like to just first take a serious look at where we're at then with these conditions and we talk about the essential steps to control the coronavirus as we understand it. And it's going to take a health education approach. It's going to take something more than what this gentleman is representing. <laughs> I was at the uh, Target store a, a few days ago, uh, day before yesterday, and <laughs> this man showed up in a full bodysuit, gloves, booties, you know, the waist, the, the mask, the head mask. And he actually confided to me after I asked him, could I take his picture? He said, you know, I'm really wearing this uh, to reduce the spread to my significant other who has a depressed autoimmune disease. And I applauded him for understanding that, that he's not gaining any protection by being in this suit because the type and the way the mask is worn and all this, you know, if he does sneeze or cause this. But it, it represents the horrific condition of social isolation that we're all experiencing. And I think we need to face up to the reality of what we're up against as a nation. So what about social isolation benefits us? Let's jump ahead here to what's uh, finally being said here. Can I, can I speak to that too as well? Um, With the president. president. made reference to the fact January 31, um, he suspended all travel from China. Shortly thereafter, uh, we issued strong travel advisories for the sections of Italy implicated and sections of South Korea. 
and we reached agreements with those countries to screen all passengers from all airports coming into the United States of America. The president's initial efforts were designed at preventing the coronavirus from coming into the United States. And what our experts have told us again and again at the Coronavirus Task Force is that those actions bought us a significant amount of time on this curve uh, to respond with the kind of mitigation efforts, standing up resources, testing, and supplies that are in effect. But we, we went from a prevention strategy the president acted on before the month of January was over to a mitigation strategy, which continues to this day. So, again, we're putting out a worldwide effort to contain all of humanity and to isolate. And yet we could be removing animals from our food supply, changing the crowded conditions for these animals, the risk, the danger of these infections as they populate throughout the animal kingdom. When you look at saliva of a human, and we all have these microbes, our immune system has done a tremendous job in being able to identify, uh, you see these things just streaking through here, but identify and control and manage rather toxic bacteria and viruses. We live in a symbiotic relationship with these microbes. And it's, it's hard for people to conce conceive that the body has its ability with these incredible white blood cells, see that little thing in the background streaming around, to handle these microbes these various friendly and unfriendly bacteria and control the population based on your personal health. And by the way, it's been well described in the literature that all of us at some point contract or have been exposed to these various types of microbes and bacteria that live within our body. And I, I think the the gross overstatement that social isolation and washing one's hands and not shaking people's hands and not enjoying uh, people's company <laughs> removes the idea that when these things spread through, the body develops an immunity, a very powerful immunity. Unfortunately, because we haven't dealt with the root cause, which... Dr. Michael Greger in his book, How Not to Die, and his early videos, and even his current statements, is saying that the cause is humans' belief that we have the right to consume other animals on the planet. And this is the origin of most of these infectious diseases. They literally did not exist hardly at all prior to 10,000 years ago. And now... We have a world that depends on your body's immune system and what we need to do to build up that immune system. So, you know, wh whether you hear from Joe Rogan and what he has to say about it, and, you know, I, I, I always find, you know, his commentary interesting and fascinating. Uh, <laughs> and not that, you know, he, he's a world-class scientist or anything, but here, I'm, I'm going to cut away just for a moment because it's interesting, you know, his take on things at times. So many people are willing to stay home and people aren't rebelling. They're like, fuck you. This is my country. I'm going to go to work. I'll take a chance. It's, everybody's going to get it anyway. Fuck you. There's way less people doing that. And when you consider that the government is controlling 320 million people, pretty crazy. Almost everyone's complying was staying home. There's only a few essential businesses. Yeah, we're going to have to, I think, really have spacesuits to leave the house and work. God damn it. <laughs> well, I, I, and I want people listening to this broadcast to recognize, I'm not saying that we need to break the rules and violate this concept of social, social isolation. It's during these times that you and I need to have some very serious talks 
about what does it take to build up a powerful immune system. The immune system is your only true solution. Your solution, you can't possibly continue to isolate people past another month or two. Sure, you could try and isolate them for a year, but eventually there is no question that social isolation is not the solution. And walking around in space suits, as I showed you uh, this picture, and you know, I, I laughed a little bit, but it is a reality. It's, it's what people think they have to come to. And to think that humans then feel like another human is, is, the, foreign, is the foreign object you know, and that, that not, not humans, but to not understand that these animals are the problem. <laughs> you might find this really hard to believe, but this is well-referenced in, in the medical literature. Well-referenced. So please pay attention to this information. Uh, I, I, I think that, you know, if we jump ahead here again to Joe Rogan, what he has to say. Here, let's see. Fuck. It's also once everything's in place where they can treat people effectively and they have the adequate number of ventilators, then are we going to go back to the way things were or are we going to have new standards in place? I don't know. I don't know, man. They, look, they did an unprecedented thing. They locked down the entire country to save people's lives. Never happened before. We're in new territory. And you know it's dangerous when a moron like me is making sense. And I'm, when I'm one of the people who's talking about something like this. I, I think if we, my point is if we have the power to lock down 320 million people and control their behavior, their actions, their flights, their whereabouts, we have the ability to make a new decision about going to a plant-based, oil-free, sugar-free, whole foods diet, I've been doing it for 43 years. Uh, I, I'm not, again, saying that it's the only solution, but it's one step among five. One step among five that has to take place. Utilize the Simply Healthy concept, gluten-free, dairy-free, oil-free, whole plant-based, moving away from animal product completely. The recipes are wonderful. They're good. I have, uh, just for your viewing uh, right behind me here, kind of my table of foods. I mean, here, here here's a vegan, dairy-free uh, uh, pizza. I think I think you can see it there from from that angle. Yep. Uh, we, let's see if I can show you a different angle here. The full. Yeah. <laughs> we have. Um, yeah. Here, here's a table shot I wanted you to see. We have a, a, a gluten-free uh, type uh, wrap. Uh, I have what's called uh, jackfruit, which has a flavor to it, like a barbecue flavor. I've got some uh, avocados, some, some bell peppers, some fresh fruit. I've got some, some Asian food right here. Oh, and this, this is so good. This is, this is like a tabbouleh that really... Oh, it smells so good. It tastes so good. And here, here's here's the jackfruit using cabbage as as the roll. So I'm not having to use uh, gluten bread. And I have the smoky barbecue veggie burger wraps. I just picked this up today. Oh, and then I, I had a bet with two of the staff members that this diet cheese pizza. I had a fifty cent bet that when they tasted it, it would be just about as good as. The pizzas that are accustomed to. I won the two bets. One's being Vimo to me, 50 cents. The other one, I was paid off in cash. Okay, government, cash. I received 50 cents. So I want you to know that there's a world of tasty, whole, natural foods that you can enjoy. And these foods are readily available to you. And I, I would go on record, if we put in this kind of effort into mass education... There's five steps that we must follow to control and prevent and overcome this, this horrific uh, coronavirus. And those steps start off with, and you might find this a little bit humorous, but I, I broadcasted this a few days ago, but one of the ways to prevent colds is to have intimacy, love, and sex at least 
two or three times a week. And this is proven in clinical studies to improve the actual IgA levels that protect us from colds, a 30% increase in IgA levels and a significant reduction in the incidence of colds and flus and viruses. And even when you do contract them, the body's able to fight these diseases. So when we talk about exercise, this is critical to building up the immune system. Love making increases, uh, increases the... Take a look at some of the concepts of my book, Mastering Love, Sex, and Intimacy. We're getting so far away from, from this concept of uh, being close and social knit society that has happiness and love uh, besides. We really need to, again, appreciate you know, the actions of the immune system. And so here are the five steps, and, and I, I'm going to cover it here, but I wanted to talk about herbal medicines as we look under a microscope at saliva, and we looked um, in, in another case uh, at blood, and we're able to see these microbes just shooting past uh, right in, in living tissues. And so what about this whole concept? We need to get down to an order of, of being, and that order is to significantly improve the immune system through a concerted effort of first, I want to recommend supplementation. There's liver excel, there's stem cell enhancer, there's stay young chewable, there's insulin heart stability, adrenal immune support, and DNA protector. When you take these six products, which are on special right now at docnutrients.com forward slash immunity that's docnutrients.com forward slash immunity you'll be able to build up your immune system tremendously you'll find that your immune system functions significantly better following this whole approach of herbal and whole food nutrition and i i really want to make it perfectly clear that it's not about me marketing or advertising a series of products when you consider that Big Pharma has now made, I read today, $900 billion in profit in the last two, three months since the coronavirus, when the entire last year they made $800 billion in profits. So what we have to decide is, are we open to the idea of herbal medicine intervention? And we're going to do a full segment on each of these products, how they work. I'll bring, bring in Dr. Kathleen Geringer to talk more about it. Uh, I'm excited to have her on the show. Uh, we've had her on past shows, but she's quite uh, enthusiastic and an expert when it comes to herbal and natural interventions. I think that um, when you and I kind of come together on this, I'm going to say the five interventions right now that my recommendation in place of in place of vaccines and drugs and social isolation in place of feeding animal-based foods in hospitals that is one of the main cross contaminants of continued suppression of the immune system lack of exercise by social confinement uh, people are actually being locked into their apartments and things in some parts of the world. It's out of control, folks. And it really gets back to what do we need to do? So these five steps go as follows. Sleep. You need quality sleep. Number two, you need to have hormonal balance, particularly understanding the critical role that cortisol has in the body. Cortisol. Safe Uses of Cortisol, highly recommended textbook along with uh, some of my earlier books I wrote on Think and Grow, uh, that is Grow Young and Slim. And here, I was going to show you a copy there. Here's um, one of my books that I wrote, Acne Be Gone for Good, which reviews the whole issue with the inflammatory system. Uh, the book Grow Young and Slim that I wrote gets into the whole idea of a whole body intervention. Uh, 
and hormonal balance through herbs. So when you look at number one, sleep, number two, hormonal balance using the appropriate herbs and supplements and the herbs and supplements that are going to help you to, to accomplish this include this incredible immunity pack that's discounted, saving you over $100 by getting this at this time to help you to build up your immune system. A tremendous advantage. So when you talk about the intervention, the next step is immunity, infection immunity, learning how to build up your own immune system, how your immune system regulates these toxic bacteria, these things swimming around. We, we live in synergy with the, these microbes. This, this, this is living in, in living saliva, and it's also found in, in, uh, in, in blood, but less to an extent in blood. Blood has less microbes in it. But most all your tissues of the body, particularly if you get a wound or something, your white blood cells. And by the way, see how that, that right there, that, that's a spirochete. So some people develop uh, Lyme's disease with these spirochetes. Some people develop um, certain uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Now, does that mean that you have that particular disease? No, uh, because we all have a small amount of all these different types of harmful and healthy bacteria. It, it's kind of a, a balance. But what I wanted to, to emphasize is social isolation does not prevent a person from developing or contracting because we already have these microbes in our body. It's how strong is your immune system to go through and clean up with these strong, powerful uh, white blood cells, and uh, we can cut away to that in a minute. So going to this whole concept of the immune system and what do we need to do? The immune system then helping to immunity, that is infection immunity, helping to protect the body from these infections and when they do develop, to manage them quickly and effectively, going through the phases of fever and you know various things that the body sometimes does to help your body to fight and get rid of these conditions. The runny nose, the colds, the cough, all this is part of it. And then besides infection, nutrition, plant-based whole food nutrition, as I, as I showed you here, the entire uh, set here uh, for the, the foods that I'm, I'm, I'm laying out here before you, eating healthy whole natural foods. This is critical to being having good nutrition and also good nutrition brings into it proper herbal whole food supplementation. And then the last part of it is exercise. I can never overemphasize how important exercise is to build up the body effectively and naturally. The body requires exercise. Exercise is one of the key essential steps to fighting viruses and building up the immune system whether it be wind sprints or mini trampoline or circuit training or just gradually consistently exercising on a regular basis. So this, I lend to you, is of critical importance. So now you have somewhat of a good summary of what you need to do. This is Dr. Nick Delgado. I'm going to keep you informed as I continue with this show and we get to our next uh, segment and talk about what is the best solution for you as a concerned citizen, as I am, of the world? It's no longer just of the U.S., of the world. What do we need to do to solve this serious problem? And I'm here to tell you, we can do it. Uh, please go to docnutrients.com forward slash secret. docnutrients.com forward slash secret. And we'll put that in the show notes and you're going to find out. Please share the show. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to continue on on this saga and share with you some other fun tips about healthy eating and lifestyle intervention. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Be strong. Be well. Bye-bye, everyone. 
please give us a review on iTunes and we'll be happy out of the group of reviews to choose a lucky winner of one of our award-winning products. It could be Esterblock, Adrenal DMG, Stem Cell Strong, or even Power and Speed. We'll ship you a bottle at no cost. You'll enjoy it just from basically giving us a review on iTunes. Also, visit DelgadoProtocol.com. That's DelgadoProtocol.com and take our free hormonal quiz. Looking forward to assisting you to be your absolute best.